Welcome to the Uncut Podcast. I'm Pastor Luke. I'm Pastor Cameron. And this is the Uncut Podcast, where we have uncut and honest conversations about faith, life, and ministry. Uh, yeah, so we're sitting down on a beautiful Thursday afternoon. Uh, or not afternoon, I guess it's still morning. It's still morning. We normally record... Well, I don't know. Our we, recording schedule. We record are... when we record. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, thanks for tuning in today. So, this today we're gonna we were kind of hitting potential topics around uh, before we sat down, and we settled on talking a little bit about like spiritual growth. Yeah, I feel like it's like a topic that. I don't know. Everyone kind of wants to know how to grow spiritually or maybe has different ideas, but like there can be a lot of ambiguity around. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, the classic, the classic answer is that you, in order to grow spiritually, Mm -hmm. you need to be um, reading your Bible. Yes. You need to be praying Mm -hmm. and you will grow spiritually. That's, at least in a lot of ways, the the oversimplified answer of what it takes to grow spiritually. Right. You're not going to really get any argument out of me about those two. Those the those are the two key ingredients to growing spiritually. Yeah. Yes. And we're talking, of course, we're we're assuming relationship already with Jesus Christ. Yes. Expressed faith in Jesus Christ. Right. Yeah. You're not going to grow spiritually unless you have surrendered your life to Jesus. Yeah. Um. But I guess maybe therein lies an important, not a problem, but a a part of spiritual growth is a, a willingness to surrender, mm-hmm. a willingness to let go of the things that have kept us from not growing. Yeah, and um, and then the ingredients of the growth mm-hmm. are, at least in my estimation, um, a a regular or consistent consistent um, presence in God's word mm-hmm. scripture and a regular and consistent prayer life. Mm-hmm. There are other things that I, you know, I, we can talk about them being, you know, those two main ingredients. There are other things that are also really critical, right? But you're not going to get, you're not going to get away from those two things. I'm curious what, um, how might, Someone who, maybe even someone who has confessed relationship with Christ um, and has kind of in, in maybe a big way, kind of like, like they've said, yep, I'm a Christ follower or I've committed to Christ or I believe on Christ. Um, but how might someone who fits that category still struggle to um, surrender? Like if you're saying that's a big key ingredient, um, like there's that big yes to Jesus that kind of like marks a lot of people's lives, whether that's a come to Jesus moment, like a, you know, at a youth camp or a conference or a Sunday service or something like that. Or if it was just a like, you know what, like I think I am committed to this. Sometimes it's not a big event. But say they've got that big yes, how is how could someone still be stuck 
by not being willing to submit or surrender? Mm-hmm. What does that look like? Well, I have, I like, I think that there's some theoretical, I would posit some theoretical explanations for that. And then mm-hmm. there are also are, I think a lot of practical ones. I think from a theoretical, which maybe is not so theoretical, I'll say it's theological, maybe not theoretical, but theological, uh-huh. is that um, is that it's been my experience that we get stuck, unable to grow, even after we've made a commitment to follow Jesus, um, when we still love our sin. There are at least still parts of us that... Um, crave or nurture there's parts of us that nurtures the life of sin within us Mm -hmm. and nurtures the flesh and we have not become uh, disgusted with it Mm -hmm. Um, we have not we have not mourned our condition of sin Mm -hmm. and maybe what it what it comes down to and we've talked about this here before a little bit is a a full a full awareness of the pervasiveness of our sinful nature mm-hmm. and a complete putting off of it. You know, we're not, um, to see what has kept us from God as a deeply seated spiritual condition rather than seeing it as just like a, well, I just need to modify my behavior and my morality a little bit. I just need to change a few things about my life. Right, mm-hmm. and then I will grow spiritually. And if we only hold that perspective, I think we we miss what is really true about what the scriptures says about our life in Christ and our relationship with Christ. Is that we we don't just modify behaviors, mm-hmm. we don't just change our morality. We die. Yeah, we 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 die to mm-hmm. self, and we die to sin we um you have died to sin how can you live in it any longer paul says in romans chapter eight or six um and so i think a part of it a part a part of that stuck position is either a conscious unwillingness to put to death both the desire for and affection for sin Mm -hmm. a conscious unwillingness or a, um, I would I would say maybe a an unconscious or subconscious um, inability to recognize my continued idolatry, mm-hmm. the the idolatry of my heart or the dividedness of my heart, yeah, where I am still living as one who is of the world Mm -hmm. rather than living as one who has died unto the world and unto sin. And I was living fully to Christ and his kingdom. So I think that's the, like at the base of the theological, the the base of the theological, I think it remains an issue of, uh, am I, do I still love do I still love my sin? Mm-hmm. Um, and there, you know, the, there's there's images of this a little bit in scripture. 
I think probably the most classic is that they're, I don't, I don't know. This is maybe, this is maybe taking the text a little bit too far. Okay. Okay. I I admit that, but I think Romans seven is intriguing to me. It really is intriguing when Paul is talking about his struggle with sin Mm -hmm. and talking about the things that he wants to do, he can't do. And the things that he doesn't want to do are the things that he does do. Yes. And, and I wonder if in heaven, apostle Paul would reflect back on his communication with the Romans and say the same thing about his struggle with sin, whatever it was, we don't know what it was, but Mm -hmm. whatever it was. Yeah. What would he say about it now that he no longer sees dimly, mm-hmm. but now he sees clearly because he's with the Lord? Um, what would he say about his relationship with whatever that sin was? Would he say, yeah, you know, yeah, I I said that I hated it and I thought I hated it, but there were certainly parts of my life where I was still nurturing the pattern of sin in my mm-hmm. in my heart. Mm-hmm. I was still like, I was, I was protecting it from being fully sanctified by the Holy spirit, by continuing to feed it yeah, in whatever, whatever that would look like based yeah. on what the sin was. So, yeah. um, do you find like it, it's, this isn't, this isn't biblical imagery. It's biblically adjacent imagery. Cause I don't remember exactly where it, what literature, the imagery of the two dogs is found in, in in Hebrew, in Judea, Judaism. Do you know what I'm talking about? I'm not familiar, no. They talk about, like, inside of the soul of each man, there's two dogs. There's, like, the good dog and the bad dog. And, mm-hmm. like, um, whichever dog you feed mm. is the dog sure. is stronger, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. And that's I think that's been, you know, thousands of self-help people have, like, quoted that yeah. idea and, like, talked about it in a gazillion different ways. But I think it originates in, like... Jewish rabbinic teaching somewhere, but I just can't remember where. See, that would be that's interesting to me because I don't I don't know that I believe that at all. Mm. Really, um, I think that pre Jesus, mm-hmm. there is only the bad dog in us. Mm. Like we don't have a good dog in us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the only righteousness that we have is the righteousness that comes by faith in Christ. Yeah. So we don't have a righteousness of our own. Mm-hmm. So it's not like we, it's not like there's, there's some kind of like internal or eternal struggle between the good parts of us and the bad parts of us. The good parts of us are Jesus. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so they are fully good. Right. They're not struggling against what is bad. The bad parts in us is us. Mm-hmm. It is fully us, 100% us. Um, so... I get the premise, of course, and I've right. and I've even you know like used, I think I've used um, similar imagery, probably even in preaching, and I should probably stop that because <laughs> I don't know that it holds it's a water. Little, it's a little bit, it's a little bit dualistic, a little bit uh, yin yang. Yeah, right. Which yeah. is not really a biblical. Well, I mean, I mean, like it's hard because you know the Bible does talk about the flesh and the spirit. Yes. Right. And, um, you know, it, I, I, and I also like, unless you're like, 
you were going pretty hard Calvinist there for a minute. I was like, go kick you, go kick him. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like, I do think like there, I don't know, this is a perennial debate of like, is there um, in the newborn Christian as Christ is in us, like is Christ transforming us? Is there, is there beginning to like, yes, all the goodness I have comes from Christ, but is that, transforming part of me, which maybe is like too niche of a like ontological argument to say like, where does the good that's inside of me reside? Even if it is ultimately sourced from Christ in me, is it residing simply as just like me being like Christ or is there, is there any part of me that is being renewed into a new creation? Like, well, since I'm not a good Calvinist, I'm a really bad Calvinist, <laughs> and I am a good Wesleyan Arminian, I would say that, yes, of course, I think that there are parts of us that the presence of Christ within us is moving us, is sanctifying us, mm-hmm. and moving us on to perfection, right. as a good Wesleyan would say, yeah. um, and bringing us into continual oneness with Christ, the power of the Spirit, and preparing us for ultimately receiving the inheritance that is ours in the consummation of all times, the redemption of our bodies, like Paul says in Mm -hmm. Romans chapter eight and, um, and the deposit for that is the work of the spirit in us, Mm -hmm. right? That, that, that by faith in Christ, we have been given the Holy spirit as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance that is to come. Right. And so that the, presence of the Holy Spirit within us, which we believe is there by faith in Christ, I think it would be, you'd be hard pressed to make the argument that the presence of the Spirit in us is not actively working to sanctify us. Right. And so, um, and if you think and look at your life post Christ, Mm -hmm. honestly, I think you, I, I think those who are growing spiritually. Yeah would say, and I would affirm this in my own life, I am not perfect. Mm-hmm. And I can, I could name you a laundry list of things that, um, point that out <laughs> as could you about my life, yeah. as could my wife about my life, as could everyone that ever meets me, you know, like right. well, it's, as, it's, as each person who's self-aware should be able to do. Right. One, right. But what I can say is that I, um, I do not struggle in sin with the same things that I have struggled with sin um, over in my life, Mm -hmm. earlier in my life, or earlier in my walk with Jesus. There are things that the Lord has given me definitive victory over and in, Um, and not that it would not be easy for me to, like, Mm-hmm. fall back into those but yep. they're but that comes both as a like a personal decision to walk away from the life of sin mm-hmm. to repent and the power of god within me to preserve me in my salvation over that thing yes yeah. there's, there's a good Calvin, <laughs> so, Saints, so what so what does this look like though like, so we've kind of covered, like, maybe what's theologically going on, that there's this, like, if we, you know, if we're not, um, 
if we're not at least in some measure putting to death sin or the flesh, yep. what does that look like? Mm. Like we, we've said, it's it's got to do with the fact that like I still perhaps love my sin more than I love Christ, but mm-hmm. what's like what is that? I guess what's like an indicator of that in someone's life? They're trying to is that me if they're trying to self-diagnose? I would say that there's okay. Well, I think there there may be a few things. Mm-hmm. A few things that are coming to mind. One is when I I, I think that there one one possible explanation for what's happening there is when you lack conviction over the things that you know the Lord detests. Mm-hmm. You know, when you when you have normalized, generalized, or rationalized your sin, then you are in a dangerous place of like you lack conviction. You're you're nurturing that sin in your in your life. Yeah. Right. Um and so you know, like if you talk about sexual sin or something like that, when you've normalized it, yeah, it's just kind of something everyone deals with. Mm-hmm. When you've generalized it, um, you know, like oh well, it's like it can kind of be. Um, it doesn't happen that much. Doesn't happen that much, or when you rationalize it, yeah, right. I'm stressed. I need the fat. I need, you know, like my I my, I got needs. Right. Type of thing, you know. Mm-hmm. So when you normalize, generalize, or rationalize, you lack conviction mm-hmm. over the thing that you know is detestable unto the Lord or is not producing holiness in your life, then I think you're you that that that's that's a pretty good indicator that you're you you have not you have not fully reckoned yeah. the weight of your sin yet. I've I don't know if it's lately uh, a meme that's been going around. I don't think so. No, it's uh, someone I, I um, someone I follow on Instagram had posted it, and then I saw a couple other people who I also follow had reposted it and whatever. And I, 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 I like, I didn't repost it because I was afraid to, but um, <laughs> not really afraid to, but just I don't know, it's well, not always my thing. But yeah, but let's say it here on the Uncut Podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, and he didn't add any context to it, but I know that the context was the the secularization of the world and both the secularization of the church mm-hmm. and the essentially what it said was that Christians have no business celebrating the things that God detests. Mm-hmm. So if something yeah. is something is detestable in the sight of God, detestable in the eyes of God, is detestable according to Scripture, and Christians yeah. are celebrating what has become detestable to the Lord or what is detestable to the Lord, then I think that's an indication that Mm -hmm. you lack conviction of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. Not that you lack the presence of the Holy Spirit, but that you have made both conscious or subconscious decisions to say, I do not receive, I will not receive, I will not listen in this. Because eventually what happens is that the Holy Spirit speaks and speaks and speaks and speaks and speaks and speaks and speaks and, speaks, and we're like this the entire time, mm-hmm. right? And then eventually we say, oh, the Lord's not giving me any conviction over this anymore. Or what, mm-hmm. what it is he, is we've become hardened and darkened to our own sin yep. and we are unable to hear. Mm-hmm. Not that he's not speaking. Yeah. Yep. If I, 
I, I feel like I may have t- said this once in a er- way earlier episode. Have I ever talked about like the movie Bird Box? I don't know. So movie Bird Box, Netflix movie, kind of a horror suspense. Yep. Bunch of monsters running around. Yep. Most people who see the monsters like die. Mm-hmm. There's a handful, like a small percentage of people who see the monsters in the movie. And they become like apostles or not apostles but like they become like uh they be they see these monsters and they're like they're beautiful they become enamored with the way that these monsters look they don't die right away instead they become like just enamored they're they think they're the most beautiful thing in the world Mm -hmm. and these survivors will walk around in this post-apocalyptic world after these monsters that if you see you die and they will fall in with a group of other survivors who are all trying to not see these monsters. And then when they get a chance, this this person will uh, take people and make them look mm-hmm. at the monster and yep. say, like, isn't that beautiful? Yeah. Like, And they're, like, holding their eyes open, making them look at these monsters, and they die, all the while saying, like, it's beautiful, you have to look. And, like, it's a fantastic picture or analogy of, like, the world often holds up and says, isn't this beautiful? Mm-hmm. When in, in actuality, it's it's detestable. It's yes. ugly. It's yes. not beautiful. It'll kill you. It'll kill you. Yeah. Right. So what we call beautiful and what the world calls beautiful underneath the lens of Christ yep. is not always the same. Right. I so. agree. Those are those are really deep theological points, all of, all of what we just talked about. Yeah. But I think that there is something else. That's a big, big, big topic, but is really key and critical to spiritual growth. And you and I have talked about it a ton. And then I was meeting with um, meeting with a guy yesterday, and uh, he's a um, he's a biblical counselor. Mm-hmm. So we were just kind of talking about um, some of the experiences that we've had in counseling. We do a lot of counseling here at Conduit, and um, it uh, is a huge part of our ministry. Yep. And um and we were both reflecting that this is absolutely true or we've seen it to be true is that I see a when people are not growing spiritually. Mhm. We should talk about what it means to grow spiritually. Like how do we know someone's growing spiritually? Yeah. We should talk we about, should that. Talk Let's about that. Um but when people are not growing spiritually, they're probably is a significant part or significant ingredient of emotional immaturity. Yes. Um, not that they are acting like adolescents. No. Yeah. They're not putting their deodorant on and yeah. not brushing their teeth and yeah. you know, are tired all the time. Not, not immaturity in that way. Right. But they're... Um, but there is an emotional immaturity mm-hmm. that they do not often consider in their desire to grow. Yeah. And they wonder, why am I not growing? I'm doing all of the things that I am supposed to do. Yeah. But they're not attending to the their emotional life, mm-hmm. which is keeping them in a uh, just kind of a dysregulated state. Yeah. Yeah. So I I wonder if, since you're a little bit more steeped in it lately than I am, how you would define or talk about emotional immaturity. 
Yeah. Well, like, it's funny because this became, this, this, like, there was some clarity, I think, when, when I, we, I was teaching uh, the spiritual growth class earlier this year. There was some clarity around that, um, that at least crystallized for me while I was teaching the content. And I think there is this, um, well, before I go there, let me answer the the first, the first question of like, how, like, how do I classify that? Like it's an unwillingness to bring our whole selves, um, <coughs> to bring our whole selves into alignment with Christ likeness. Like if, cause like we often like this, the way we conceive of ourselves and the conceive of our spirituality is like, we're like, Oh, I'm mind, body, and soul. Like, like my spirit. Right. And we don't think of our spirit as having something to do with our emotions as having something to do with our body. Mm-hmm. We think of those as three different categories and they don't really touch each other very much. Mm-hmm. When in fact is, is that they actually impact each other a lot. Right. Like in like the recovery world, there's that acronym HALT. What is that? Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Mm. Right. Mm. Uh, if you're hungry or you like, you're more likely to relapse in your addiction. Mm. If you're angry, you're likely to, if you're lonely, social isolation. Mm-hmm. If you're physically tired, mm-hmm. you're more likely to relapse in mm-hmm. your addiction. Mm-hmm. That's just like a simple, like you ask anybody who's like recovered and, and gone through that, they're like, mm-hmm. yeah, halt. Yep. Like those, those are like, if one of those is a red flag for me, mm-hmm. um, some of those are physical conditions that impact an emotional state that respond in a physical acting out. I'm not the same person when I'm hungry as when I have just eaten a meal. No. Right. I am the personification of those Snicker commercials. Yes, I am angry. Right? Uh-huh. <laughs> like, yep. My, my, like, if I'm in a mood, like, yeah. uh, Oksana is just going to say, Luke, are you hungry? Like, yep. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> give, right. me, give me chicken nuggets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll calm down. <laughs> right. right. Um, why is that? Well, it's because we're all interconnected. Mm-hmm. And so like, I th- like your emotions are an important part of your spirituality. Mm-hmm. Like how you uh, emotionally and relationally interact with other believers. Yeah. Um, how you emotionally and interact and come to God, mm-hmm. right? Or my coming to God, um, like if, if, if my, if I'm like constantly isolating myself relationally, which is like a life skills mm-hmm. thing. And that's impacting how I feel. I feel lonely. And then that's, I'm running to maybe a sin, a sin behavior. Like maybe I, uh, maybe I gossip in order to connect with people, or maybe I'm running to, or pornography or an addiction or something like that in order to cope with the loneliness. Like all of a sudden, like, you know, if you're, if we could talk about like, yeah, growing spiritually would mean stopping that sin, whether that be gossip or pornography or whatever. But if you also don't address the fact that you're um, emotionally lonely because you're relationally isolating yourself mm-hmm. and bringing yourself into fuller community, like you're going to have a really hard time addressing that sin. And that's just a practical matter, but I also think a spiritual matter. Yeah. 
Like mm-hmm. that's, you know, someone might say like, well, I'm psych, you know, like it could be easy to look at what I just explained and say, well, Luke, like you're psychologizing the, you're, you're, you're making it too clinical or whatever. And I'm well, like, sure. well, people do say that. Yep. Sure. And I'm like, well, I mean, like that's, but I, I don't think we need to surrender like the, those parts to secularism. Yeah. I don't think we need to say, you know what, like the fact that you're not spending time with people and that like you're struggling with identity and emotional vulnerability in order to connect with people in healthy community. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that if you were to take care of that, that might take care of the emotional thing. Mm-hmm. And that might really help you follow Christ more and not lean on an addiction. Yeah. That's spiritual. I don't want to say that that's clinical or psychology. Right. I no no. Like I want to own the human experience and have that have a place inside the church, the Bible, and our life in Christ. Yep. yep. I don't. So yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Um, I think I think. So I guess that's how I kind of talk about that. But I think one of the reasons that people who love Jesus, because I've met people, I know you've met people who love Jesus, but are stuck in somewhere in this realm of emotional immaturity. Mm-hmm. I think one of the reasons that that's happened, one is the dichotomy I talked about, but the second is that we've made this, the marker of growing spiritually mature is we've, we've missed it. I was I was hoping we, like, this is where I wanted to go next. Yeah, so. like if if you think you know, oh, well, that's just like, well, I'll just I'll, like this was me at one point in my life when I was a younger believer. Like I thought the spiritually mature person read the most uh, nonfiction Christian books, uh, read the Bible, knew the most theology, and could argue theologically. Check 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 check. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, I can do all of that. Right. And then I, I regularly read and pray. Well, then I must be, and I go to the church the most. I'm there every time it's open. I'm there every Sunday time it's morning, open. Wednesday nights, you know, right? whatever. I'm at a small group. Yep. I'm doing this. I'm serving. I'm, yep. you know, I'm on the praise band. Yeah. I must be spiritually mature then. Yeah. No. Nope. 100% no. Right. Right. I think that we. Well, I don't want to steal your thunder. Did no. You, did you have a? Did no, you, I mean, did you have a? No. A defi- like, I, well, yeah. I think it's because we've we've like the the thunder is just the scripture, and that's that every time uh, one of the New Testament Testament authors talks about like how do we know someone is a Christian, they talk about love. Yes. The love of neighbor, and love of God. God. What does Christ say, right? What is, what, what is the most important commandment? His commandment, yeah. Right? Love the Lord your God with all your strength, all your heart, and all your mind, and then love your neighbor, your neighbor as yourself. yourself. Yeah. Yeah, I think that 100%, that's spot on, that um, post-enlightenment Christianity, mm-hmm. which is like the 1700s and on, mm-hmm. right? post-enlightenment Christianity has... has has held up intellectual ascent as the marker of spiritual maturity. Brain on a stick. Brain on a stick. Yeah. Smartest person in the room is the one closest to Jesus. Yeah. 
the one who can quote has the most Bible verses memorized, the one who can talk theological circles around people. In Scripture, um, and Jesus Himself Mm -hmm. is recorded in Scripture, essentially says that you, it is our, it is your growing capacity to love God and to love others that is the marker of your spiritual maturity. Mm-hmm. Paul, I mean, Paul hits the whole knowledge thing head on in First Corinthians end of um, 12 and beginning of 13, mm-hmm. you know, where he says, if I can speak in the tongues of men and angels, if I have faith that can move mountains, if I have wisdom that no one can fathom, right, but I have not love, I am nothing. You are just making noise. And um, and I think that as a connected piece, we would say that, um, you know, the Holy Spirit within us helps to make us more loving. Yeah. And that um, the scripture is clear about what the proof that the spirit is in us is Mm -hmm. Paul calls it fruit. Yeah. Right. And so, uh, sometimes return to this as like a marker as an answer to people when they ask the question, am I growing spiritually? How do I know I'm growing spiritually? Well, are you growing one as a, in a general way in your capacity to love? Yeah. And, um, and I, would I would say, and I don't know, I could be wrong here, but I would say even Jesus' use of, maybe you know, maybe Jesus, even Jesus' use of the word or the term neighbor mm-hmm. was not specific to those who held the same faith as we did, as we do. Yeah. Right? It yes. was it, it yes. wasn't it wasn't as if the Lord was like, hey, love the people that are really, really easy to love. Well the um because the the attached parable, right, to love your neighbor mm-hmm. is the um the Samaritan mm-hmm. who in the context is is, is the Samaritan. Exact opposite, right? Not not a Jewish right, right? The Samaritan not is a religious one, person even. Right. Um there was a really uh there was a yeah, the, this this just calls into my mind that sometimes we get into this place where we're like, all right, I, I need to be faithful to love my neighbor. And we go around walking around and we look at the world and we're like, who's my neighbor, right? And we're walking around and we look at people and like, who's my, is this person my neighbor? Is this person my neighbor? And that's the question that's in our mm-hmm. mind a lot of time as we're seeking to be faithful for that. Mm-hmm. When really we need to learn from Mr. Rogers mm-hmm. and we need to come and say, will you be my neighbor? Mm-hmm. Like, as cheesy as that is, theology by Mr. Rogers. Theology by Mr. Rogers is not always a bad way horrible. to go. No, uh-uh. um, you know, like, can we go up and can we like stop asking the question of like who's my neighbor? Oh, they they're not my neighbor because so I don't have to love them. Yeah, but I think, can I ask? Right. Can't are they my? You know, will they be my neighbor? I think what happens is that we 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 see our neighbor as the people that we already agree with the most. Yeah. That are most like us. They're most our aligned, tribe. Our tribe, right? That's our neighbors. But like the, I think the question really is, can you exhibit the fruit of the spirit in relationship to the people or the person that you 
um, that you would hate the most if you did not have Jesus in you? Mm-hmm. Could 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 you hug someone who voted for the opposite candidate of you? Don't say that. <laughs> People are not of the Lord. <laughs> um, yeah, like, could, could you love them? Mm-hmm. Could you have joy in their presence? Could you have peace about their life? Could you be patient with them or kind? Um, would you express goodness or faithfulness? Um, could you be self-controlled? Could you be patient with them? Like all of these things. Um, and I think that um, we, that, that becomes a, the, the whole question of who is the neighbor. We want to make the neighbor, the people that are easy to love. Right. Yeah. And even, I mean, obviously Jesus even had stuff to say about that. Yeah. What good is it? Even, uh, not even, what, what did he call pagans? Even pagans love the people that or, they love. Yeah. Or, or the, the pagans love the people who give them gifts, like, right. you know, or hang out with yes. them. So, yeah. 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 There's, um, I think there's a, a lot there. Yeah. But it's definitely like, are we looking at markers of love? ourselves as indicators of whether or not we're growing spiritually yeah right what about the whole what about the this may be a little bit of a bunny trail but the whole statement of well i do love that person but i but i um but i hate their sin (laughs) i mean like i always have the question of like okay but what does that mean right like what what is that are are you using that statement in order to justify something like justify a behavior towards i've got an answer but i'm just wondering what you think um (laughs) well like i would i guess this was something that was in my head like there is there's like two flip sides of these coins right like the sinner love the sinner hate hate the sin hate hate the sin which not in the bible um (laughs) like um there is a point at which, like, um, what I'm not, what, man, it's so hard because I feel like there's so many, like, the more divided our culture becomes, the more segments there are to talk to. And no, you're, you're, you're to love the person and you're, and ultimately like their sin, um, is, and, and who they are and like, their deserving of judgment is to be submitted unto Christ, mm-hmm. right? And to hit, like, it'll either be taken care of at the cross or in the final judgment. Mm-hmm. God is judge. Like, you know, mm-hmm. let's not get into needles and or specks and logs in our eyes and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But on the other side of the hand is there is a growing significant portion of society that defines love as agreement mm-hmm. or love as... Um, Acceptance. Acceptance. Yeah. Which I disagree with. So do I. Right? Like, I don't, like, no, I don't have to agree with you. Yeah. I also don't have to think the thing that you're doing is good. But I can still love you. Like, I can still treat you with human dignity. And be in your presence and even enjoy you. Right. And so, but that, that's a, you know, that's a distinction that, like, no, like, you you can still disagree with people, right? Mm -hmm. You don't have to 
don't have to agree on everything. And just because I disagree with you or would, or think maybe a thing you're doing is not right or is not, you know, in line of keeping with God's will doesn't mean that I can't love you. Yeah. Yeah. Where were, what, what's coming to your mind when you hear that, like, love the sinner, hate the sin? I think it's more, like, I think there's not really a actual way to separate a person mm-hmm. from their sin in, as far as that's concerned. Yeah. So we just end up hating the person. Yeah. Because we, we define them by what they do mm-hmm. or what they're not doing, right? I think that if I were to, like, I think the more, the more appropriate statement was love the sinner, hate my own sin. Like, mm-hmm. I love you. You're a sinner. I am also a sinner. Yeah. I am going to hate my own sin. I you know, I want to do. I want to develop a growing sense of hate for my, the the sin of my life. Your sin is your own. It's not mine. Yeah. Right. I'm not gonna. I'm not going to spend time hating your sin as if that somehow is helpful mm-hmm. for me or for you. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm just gonna love you, and I will. I'll go through the process of hating my own sin. Yeah. So, yeah. That's generally how I feel about that. Wow. I I think a lot of times, not all the times, but good portion of the times, when we when we have a particular when we get particularly frustrated with somebody or like a particular type of sin, a lot of times we're projecting. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. that's it's that's something that like like even like I myself have to catch right like am i am i railing am i really angry because that's because they're really just that annoying that detestable they're doing something really that bad or am i really just angry because they're doing exactly what's inside of my heart Mm. whether i'm acting on it or not Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know and and that's a you want to want to find a way to grow if you're struggling to love somebody Mm is use them as a mirror and say, what about them resides in me as well? Mm-hmm. And am I angry at them just because I'm actually angry? Angry, mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So if we've kind of, we've ta- talked about what's, what's not maturity, what, what actually like, what is it, you know, markers of maturity, like ultimately, like if you have not love, doesn't matter how big your Bible is. Um, how do you then grow? <laughs> right? Because we talked about Bible reading, prayer, going to church. Mm-hmm. Like, what what do you do? Well, how about a part two for that? Okay. You want to do part two for I that? I think we should do a part two for that. But I think we can maybe preview some, mm-hmm. at least some beginning answers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will, I will just let the cat out of the bag towards what I think is the most most overlooked aspect of spiritual growth and that's community. Yeah. I think it's and and not just any community. Mm-hmm. But um community that has as its central core value the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um because I see a lot I see people talk about all the time the different families that they have. Oh, it's my work family. 
It's my gym family. It's yeah. my um, football team's family. Yeah. It, it's like it's it's my family. It's family, 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 family. Like like just what that tells me is one that there is an internal yearning that God has placed in us all for belonging. Mm-hmm. What it also tells me is that people are so um is that maybe the church has not done a great job at building actual gospel community because people are trying to find their community in elsewhere elsewhere yeah um but it also makes me want to say like please 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 find gospel community because that community will end up hurting you and that's a funny thing to say because like can you can you get hurt in community that you find in the church? Yes, yeah. absolutely. Mm-hmm. You can. However, the gospel a gospel-centered com- community has as part of its core DNA mm-hmm. forgiveness, yep. um reconciliation, um and there's no essentially no expectation of that in other forms of family or community right. you're just ostracized mm-hmm. you're just put out mm-hmm. you're done it's over and um and so gospel community works towards the health and long-term sustainability i guess for lack of a better word sustainable relationships that mutually encourage that fan the flame, fan the flame of Christ in one another. Yep. And that um, provide accountability and provide um, vulnerability and provide uh, encouragement and prayer and support and family life and sharing of resources mm-hmm. and all of that. Like, that's what I mean by gospel community, deep, deep, deep community. Right. Um, so. While there are other things for sure that um, that are key to spiritual growth, I think that's the one I would want to talk about in part two because I think it's yeah. the most overlooked. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's a, a big, there's a big, you know, section of Christian belief that says that I don't need anyone to grow. I just, you know, I'll just go out into the Bible. I'll just go out in the woods with my Bible, my journal, and Jesus. And accidentally start a cult. Right. Um, and like, look, no one's saying that that's a bad thing. Sure. But I'm, I'm just saying that like, um, you know, Jesus needed and wanted people around him too. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I think my, I think my own, like I affirm that a hundred percent because there's, um, people have played such a big part in my growth, like in my discipleship. Mm-hmm. And then like the other piece that I'll, I'd kind of tease that like, we don't, we obviously don't have time to unpack is that like, I think at least our particular like sector of the Christian community that you and I are from and that we're probably mostly talking to, um, needs to learn to learn, lean into spiritual disciplines that are more formational and less informational. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like it. Yeah. 
Agreed. Yep. Mm-hmm. So we'll talk. I'll talk more about what I mean exactly by that, but mm-hmm. give more examples. But I do think that we just because we're so fixated on like being brains on a stick, mm-hmm. knowing more about God and theology and stuff like that, that we've we turn Bible reading and we turn prayer into information exchange. Yep. And we're maybe not doing the practice with the view of shaping our hearts. Mm-hmm and shaping us in a longer term, more like subtle and reflective and contemplative Mm way. Mm -hmm. Love it. All right. Well, so part two will be what does it take for spiritual growth beyond the basics that you always hear pastors and people talk about. Yeah. You know, so reading your Bible and being in prayer, you're not going to get any argument from us about that. We're going to... Say that it's in a, those are assumed, mm-hmm. those are assumed things. But what are, what else? How about formation over information in terms of discipline, spiritual disciplines and gospel community? We'll, we'll deal with those next week on the yep. Uncut Podcast. Um, Send us your questions. Yeah, as always, you can text us your questions, 716-201-0507, or you can write your questions in the comments, or you can text to them, text them to us if you know us personally, because I think most of you probably do. Um, and as always, please like, share, subscribe, uh, and rate wherever you are listening or watching the podcast. Thank you. Yes. And good night. See you next time.